Hi, I'm Sarah. Jesus is my best friend and the love of my life. But I wasn't always this way. I was born to parents who were heroin addicts. We were pretty poor, and while my parents did their best to take care of me, I did experience neglect, and as a result, grew up believing I was worthless, unwanted, and unlovable. I was very selfish and didn't care about anyone but myself because I knew that no one else would take care of me. These beliefs manifested themselves in my life as an eating disorder that started at 13, depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. I was looking for love, attention, validation, and worth, and had countless relationships, many of which were abusive, looking for anything to fill those voids. Looking back, I can see God pursuing me relentlessly. In high school, my only friends were Christians who led me to the Lord. Regardless, nothing changed in my heart or my life. I hadn't encountered Jesus, and so I kept doing whatever I needed to do to get the love and attention, regardless of the outcomes. In 2010, my long-term abusive and codependent relationship ended, and I was at rock bottom. So I did what many of us do, and I started going to church and taking my faith a bit more seriously. But I was still living a double life, you know, praising God on Sunday, but living in sin on Monday. I wanted a bit of Jesus incorporated into the life that I wanted to live. In 2013, I received a prophecy, and part of that the Lord said to me, you know about me, you've heard about me, but you haven't really taken a part of me. This was a pivotal turning point in my relationship with Jesus. How could it be that I knew about God, but I didn't know Him? Especially because I was going to church, reading the Word, praying, and involved in a small group. I was doing all this stuff, but that doesn't constitute a relationship. So as the Father drew me in, I responded by doing what I knew to develop a relationship with Jesus. I was purposeful in really digesting the Word every morning and spending every evening seeking Jesus through times of intimate prayer where I would adore Him and spend time listening for Him because a relationship is always two-sided. Through this seeking, I encountered Jesus and the most wonderful intimacy developed. Through this encounter and our relationship, He has completely transformed my life. I am literally a completely different person. By knowing my dad intimately and in discovering his character, that he is eternally kind, gentle, compassionate, and loving, he showed me my true identity as his daughter. That I'm chosen, I'm wanted, valued, accepted in the beloved, and loved unconditionally, regardless of my past sins and mistakes. All the issues I struggled with are gone. Through a relationship with Jesus, my identity has been revealed. In seeking Him and keeping my eyes on Jesus, He gave me all the love and attention I was always looking for in the things that could never satisfy. The more I encountered Him, the deeper I wanted to go. He is irresistible. The deeper I went, the more I wanted to desperately surrender my whole life for Him and lay it down at His feet. The more I surrendered, the closer we got, and the more I was transformed. It's impossible to have an encounter with Jesus and remain the same. The other wonderful outcome is that through this relationship, I'm able to hear from God and talk with Him as my friend and father. This is not exclusive to me. I'm not special. This is a result of knowing Jesus intimately. Through this relationship, He has given me a heart of compassion for people who are incarcerated, transient, homeless, and struggling with addictions. I spend my free time doing outreach downtown to pray for and love on the homeless people and addicts I encounter on the street. Encountering Jesus has given me a passion to pray for others and invite Him into whatever they are struggling with and speak prophetically into their lives and situations. I would love to pray for anyone who would like to encounter Jesus in whatever way they need, and I'm available every Sunday in the chapel after service for prayer. The purpose of Jesus' death on the cross is not only for our salvation, it's to reconcile us to our Father. God is desperately desiring a relationship with you, and what I'm describing is available to everyone.
Well, that's awesome. And uh, Sarah has often been involved with our uh, once a month uh, prayer nights that we've been doing in the chapel on, on the last Thursday of every month. And for those who are keeping count, that's this Thursday. So um, we'd love to have you out uh, this Thursday for that. It'll be uh, just, a, it's always a wonderful time of just praying into this season that we're in as a church uh, of transition and, and looking forward to what is ahead and seeing what God wants to do in our midst. And so um, very cool to hear Sarah's story with that. Um, so when I was in high school, uh, I was a very strong student in a few areas, um, not all, uh, particularly in the languages and the arts. So I would breeze through, you know, English class, French class, music, drama. I was actually one of those weird kids that took French all the way through, even though we needed, only needed grade nine. Um, and, and so that, that was, I was just good at it. And that was just natural to me. So um, I also knew pretty early on in my life that... I wasn't going to need a lot of like the maths and science. I, I knew that I was either going to become a pastor, here I am, uh, a rock star, didn't happen, um, a, a social worker, or a therapist. Um, and and I, I, in some ways, I do three out of the four of those things. The rock star is the one I don't do. <laughs> but uh, it's, I, I, at, that, at that point, I just wanted to keep my options open. So I knew that I didn't need to really focus too much on the um, maths and sciences. And so I just did the bare minimum to get by. And you could be like, well, that's a terrible attitude. It was. Um, but we'll get, we'll get there in a second. Um, so in my last year of high school, I was forced to choose between two different courses. Uh, one of them was a science course of some sort. The other was an automotive course. Um, admittedly, I uh, went with the, what, I, what I considered the lesser of two evils, which was the automotive course. Uh, for, sorry for those who love science. I just, I'm not good. Um, so anyway, uh, I did this course and, you know, we did things rebuilding and uh, rebuilding uh, lawnmower engines. And uh, we, we took like a sledgehammer and like put a dent in a door and had to fix it and did a little bit of basic welding and that kind of thing. Um, and as it turns out, I'm really terrible at it. And so um, I, I just kept going along in this course and I think I, I think I got like a 54%. And a, a part of it, part of it was that I just didn't do a lot of stuff that you were supposed to do. And I just didn't try very hard because I was like, oh, I just need to get the credit. Um, <laughs> so along comes report card time. And, uh, and so we get the, the comments that the teachers write. And, and, uh, and the, one, the one teacher, uh, he wrote as a result of my poor effort, he wrote, um, and these are like words that I will never forget. They, they haunt me to this day. Um, he wrote, Justin is satisfied with minimal success. And I was like, dang, that, like, and so like, I mean, at the time, I just, I didn't care. I was a typical teenager. I was just like, whatever, I don't care. I don't care. Um, and, uh, and I know there's some teachers from Centennial. We can talk about who that was after. Uh, <laughs> so I was... Um yeah, at the point, at that time, I didn't really care, but then my, my parents, they kind of really used that as a phrase. Oh, Justin, you're satisfied with minimal success. And so, like, it really haunted me. And even to this day, sometimes I'll be doing things. So I'll be, you know, um, like shoveling the driveway or writing a sermon or feeding my daughter, and I'll be like, Justin is satisfied with minimal success. And then I'm like, I got to fight against that. And, I, and, and I'm like trying to, like, combat my own mind to do a better job because I don't want to be that person that I was in high school. I had to prove myself wrong, basically. That's just my bizarre mind and the way it works. But a lot of that just stems from the idea that at that point in time, I was satisfied with the status quo 
I was. I, I was only interested in the minimum required efforts. You could call it um, the, the, the path of least resistance. So when you think about uh, if you had a bucket of water and you had a hill and you went, you, you poured the bucket of water on the hill, that water is going to make its way down and it's going to find the easiest path to sneak through. That's the way I was. Thankfully, I've changed. Thankfully. <laughs> um, but it's something that is, I think, innate to all of us in some way, shape, or form. Something that we frequently do where we don't like hard and challenging things. We don't like hearing hard and challenging statements, and so we avoid them. We have often avoid conflict. Now, some of you are weirdos, and you probably like pursue conflicts. Good for you. Um, but a lot of us, the majority of us, I would say, are not ones who like go seeking a fight. We try to find the path of least resistance where there's going to be the most amount of peace, the most amount of ease, and that's just what we like to do. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a guy who asks a question that's sort of a path of least resistance kind of question, sort of a uh, satisfied with minimal success sort of question. And this is our last encounter of this three-week series we've been doing. And uh, if you've been following along in that, in that Route 89 plan that uh, Jonathan was just talking about, uh, technically speaking, you should have, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, um, you should have read this exact passage two days ago. Um, or maybe if you're a little bit behind, maybe you read it this morning or something. And so um, this is found in Matthew chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Um, and uh, yeah, so hopefully some of you are, are kind of familiar. Maybe this is fresh on your minds. So just to really, really quickly recap, um, week one, we dealt with sort of this contrasting two-person uh, two encounter, where on one chapter, uh, Jesus was uh, talking with this guy named Nicodemus, who was an insider. He was a religious leader. He was someone that they all looked at and said, this guy gets it. But Jesus is like, mm, doesn't really get it. And, and he eventually did, thank goodness, um, but it, it didn't happen right away. And then you contrast that with the very next chapter, and there's this woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's an outsider. She is considered loose morally, and, and she, by all, for all intents and purposes, she's someone who everyone looks at and says, I want nothing to do with her, and Jesus has this incredible encounter with her, and, and he esteems her, and he lifts her up, and, she, and she's changed by it. And then last week, uh, myself downtown and Daniel last week, we, we shared about the faith, the incredible faith of this Roman centurion who was typically, this, is, this guy would be the guy who is an enemy of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. And um, yet Jesus says, this guy gets it. This guy has greater faith than anyone else I've seen in all of Israel. And this is this profound thing that happens when Jesus encounters someone, or when we encounter Jesus. This incredible thing happens where our faith is lifted. And my hope and prayer for us as we go through this morning is that this encounter is a bit challenging, and my hope is that we're challenged in a good and healthy way, that we're going to be stretched. So this week, um, we're dealing with this guy. He's a rich, young ruler, and he takes the path of least resistance by asking um, a bit of a Funny question. He's not trying to be a jerk. He's not trying to be, uh, he's not trying to be kind of uh, cheeky or anything like that. He's literally just asking a sincere question. So let's read and, uh, and see what he asks. Starting at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, saying, teacher, teacher. So he actually is affirming Jesus as someone who is um, important, someone who you, should, you ought to listen to. So he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, what, so why do you ask me about what is good? 
There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we had this rich man, somewhere between 20 and 40. That's kind of what they peg him at. He's possibly a religious leader. They're not quite sure. They, they don't identify him as such. But uh, based on his um, kind of uh, dedication to the law, he's like, I, I, yeah, I, I obeyed all the commandments. Uh, I, I'm pretty good. And, and based on his wealth, um, there's a good chance that he was kind of in like this religious hierarchy. Um, so he was the, the kind of guy that everyone looked up to as, as kind of, you're a, a righteous, holy, pious kind of guy. And so he asks him, Jesus, what's the one thing that I need to make sure I do? What's the little thing I need to check off my checklist so that I can be saved, so that I can inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, what's the path of least resistance that I need to do? What's the, what's the least thing that I can do to make sure that I inherit eternal life? And so while he is sincere in this question, he is deeply misguided. Jesus stops him before he even gets to the answering the question, and he says, he kind of comments on this guy's usage of the word good, because he said, what's the one good thing I need to do? And Jesus is like, wait a minute, just why are you asking? Why are you asking about what is good? <laughs> and he's like, um, God is only good. Now, side note, um, the guy doesn't know that Jesus is God, um, and so Jesus is kind of just letting him hang on this. So, um, it's not that we can't do good things. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying you, you can do all sorts of good stuff, quote unquote good stuff. But those good things are ultimately an expression of the one who is the ultimate good. And so if you are, say, faithful to your spouse, say you've been married for 50 plus years and you would say, I am, I am a dedicated husband or a dedicated wife. Um, that is a very good thing, but it is a representative of the ultimate good who is God. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. So Jesus then spouts off five of the Ten Commandments, and they're all kind of the practical things that um, he then summarizes from a verse in Leviticus, where he says, uh, love your neighbors yourself, do good things, uh, care for the people around you, treat your fellow humans uh, well, and if you do that, then you would be perfect. At least that's what he says in the moment. And the man responds back, he's like, okay, I I've done that. Cool, let let let's, let's make that little check mark. And he's like, I've kept all those, great. And Jesus would have known this guy's heart. And we as the reader, we can read this and be like, this guy's, there's, there's no way. Like, there, there has to be at some point in this guy's life where he like mouthed off to his mom or dad or where he, uh, you know, made, said a little white lie or, or something. So we know that this guy is, at least he, maybe he's sincere, maybe he thinks he's doing his best, but he's certainly not perfect. <laughs> but Jesus plays his game anyway. Jesus looks at him and is like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'll track with where you're tracking. Let's just go down this rabbit hole a little bit. <laughs> and he ups the ante. And he says, okay, so if you really want to be perfect, seems like that's what you want to do. If you really want to be perfect, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And then when you're done all that, come on back and follow me. That will secure your spot in eternal life. <laughs> and Jesus really cuts to the guy's heart. He cuts to the guy's heart, and, and it abruptly ends this encounter. 
And so like, oh, great. This is a real happy one, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy walks away sad because he had great possessions. In, in today's world, that means he has the, the, his winter home, he has his summer home, he has boats, he has luxury cars. He's got the latest and greatest of everything. He has cash in the bank. He has social prestige, all of the things that we long for in many ways. And he's like, I, I, I just can't do it. I, I can't give it up. And by all exterior indications, uh, the world, even the Jewish world, would look at this guy and say, God has blessed this guy. <laughs> and Jesus is kind of looking at him and be like, no, 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 you are not blessed at all. Actually, you're enslaved. You are enslaved to your wealth. He is incapable of following Jesus because of the snare of wealth. Now, some of that might be a little bit challenging. Um, and we're going to unpack it in a moment, but, but to get there, we just have to read the next couple verses where Jesus has this little huddle with his disciples. And Jesus would frequently do this where Jesus would say or do things that were kind of confusing and he'd get together with all of his buddies and they'd have a little debrief session. And so he's like, okay, guys, this is kind of, uh, let, me, let me expand a little bit more on what we were just talking about there. So here's the next few verses. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel, which was kind of the lar one of the larger known animals of the time, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looks at them and says, with man or with humans, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So this kind of both confuses and illuminates. And I'm hoping that we can make, an under, make a, a good understanding of it. So let's just backtrack for a second and just note the progression of what Jesus has done. Because he, he, it's very clever the way he's approached this. So he says, first thing, obey. First thing, obey. And then the guy's like, okay, done. I, I've obeyed the commandments. And then he says, sell everything. And he's like, okay, uh, I, I can't do that. I, I can't follow you either. And so he says, obey, sell everything, follow me. And the guy's, sorry, I'm out. But then Jesus, between him and his disciples, he goes even further and he says, it is difficult for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes even further. He says, it is actually, no, it's not just difficult. It is impossible. <laughs> and so... To understand the rich young man's trouble, we need to understand what Jesus was doing and what he's doing was very, very clever. So out of all of our encounters over the past couple weeks, this is the only one that, that didn't end well. Um, the guy walks away um, seemingly unchanged. You know, the woman at the well, she was lifted up and esteemed. Nicodemus, he didn't get it right away. But eventually, if you go through the, the story of John, you see Nicodemus is actually at the burial site of Jesus as a follower of Jesus. Uh, the Roman centurion, his, his servant was healed and, and, and he was complimented as this man of great faith. But we have no idea what becomes of this rich young man. One of the things that the Bible is so good at is leaving us with questions, really important questions that we might never fully know the answer to, but when we discuss these questions, when we wrestle and grapple with them, we often find some very deep things to explore and discuss. You know, like I, I had a lot of questions when I read it. So I asked questions like, okay, um, what did this guy do after he left Jesus? Did he go back into his, into his mansion and was like, you know, sitting, looking over his like vineyard or his terrace or whatever, and was like, I'm so glad that I didn't follow that, that Jesus guy. Or like, did he feel conflicted about it? Did he, was he wrestling? through this? Was it something that he genuinely wanted to work through and deal with? I, the, the Bible just doesn't say. 
We just don't know. <laughs> so we're forced to think really deeply about the implications of this interaction, this encounter with this rich young man. Because the, re- the reality is, as we examine, we find out that we are a lot more like this rich young man than we might have thought. So Jesus throws in a little bit of humor, just to kind of make sure that, you know, he's, we understand this as a, as a very, um, we'll use this example of, um, it's, it's easier for a, a camel, so which is a large, large mammal, to go through the eye of a needle. As you can imagine, like, I mean, I can't even show you how small it is with my hand. Um, it's very, very, very small. And so he's creating this comical point to say, this, this, is, a, uh, this is a no-go. This isn't going to happen. And if you were a Jew in the ancient world, you would hear what Jesus said, and you would do two, thing, two things. You would laugh, because it's a ridiculous comparison, and Jesus is meaning to do that. But they would also be shocked, and it says that they were astonished. That they were astonished at the absurdity of what Jesus was saying. The reason why is because for a Jew in the first century, for them to look at someone like this rich young ruler, the natural assumption was to assume that they were well off, that they were blessed specifically by God. And so their, uh, their assumption was, okay, this guy, he seems to be doing things right. He seems to be blessed by God. Because they look at the fathers of the faith, so go back all the way in the Old Testament, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then you have Job, and you have these kings like Solomon and King David that were very uh, well looked upon for the most part. And they were also exceedingly wealthy. God blessed them and they had a great deal of wealth, which is why they gasp and they're like, but our forefathers, like they were blessed by God with material stuff. And and so if that's not how you get saved, how can anyone be saved? This guy can't do it. And I can just imagine the smirk on Jesus's face as he looks back at the disciples. He's like, well, I mean, with, with you guys, with humans, it's impossible. You, you can't do it. There's, there's nothing you could do. But with God, all things are possible. <laughs> so my question this morning, and you can answer this out loud, is this passage about money? No. You guys are smart. This is not about the money. Um, is this passage about the need to obey or follow Jesus? Not even really that. That's kind of a bit of a Sunday school answer that you could grapple with. It's, it's not even really about that. Is this passage about how rich people are going to uh, endure a, a, you know, total separation from God for eternity? Is that what it's about? No, thank you. In fact, uh, the Bible all across, it's an interesting case study to consider if you ever have a little bit of spare time. Look through everything the Bible says about money from all the different authors, all the different writers, and you find this very broad, complex set of of standards um, where the Bible warns about wealth and warns about money, but also encourages um, his people to be wise stewards. So if God God blessed you with a, a great job and you make just a ton of money, God says, Be a good steward of that. Take care of the world. Take care of your church. Take care of the poor. Do all of these things. So this passage, it's about grace. Simply put, one word, it's about grace. With humans, this is impossible, but with God, it is possible. That's grace. He's saying, there's nothing you can do, but I have given you this incredible gift. 
So this man walked away before he got to hear the best part about the grace. He missed hearing about the incredible, impossible, scandalous miracle of grace. This grace that, though it's impossible on our own, that we can encounter the radical love of the God of the universe. And there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It's the one thing that this guy's money cannot buy. In fact, his wealth became a hindrance to him where he said, I, I just, this is my idol. I, I have to give it up. I can't give it up. So we're supposed to look at this rich young man. And especially if you would not categorize yourself as rich, because I know that sometimes you can look at a passage like this and be like, well, that guy, he's, you know, look at him. He's got all this money and, and he's now, you know, too good for us. But really, we're supposed to be looking at this guy and saying, okay, how am I like him? And it's true. We are all like him. The Bible often holds up a mirror and says, wait, wait, hold, don't, hold, don't move on. We need to examine, we need to listen, we need to see in, the, in what way we are similar to this man. It forces us to have an encounter with Jesus where we reconcile our idols. Let me say that again. An encounter with Jesus forces us to reconcile our idols. It forces us to look at our deeply held convictions, our assumptions, our fears, and our priorities. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Any sort of security net that when you take it away, um, you're just really in a bad way. So what I want to do in our time remaining is I want to unpack four types of idols and how they get in the way of us experiencing grace. Because this guy, he had a, a whole lot of idols. His primary was wealth, but there's usually something deeper going on. And it got in the way of him experiencing the incredible grace of Jesus. And I don't want that for you. And whether you're here this morning and you're someone that's been a follower of Jesus for most of your life and you want to experience that grace in a new way, or whether you're someone that you you're like, I don't really get this whole thing. I don't understand it all yet. My prayer is that we can all remove the hindrances to understanding and experiencing and encountering the grace of Jesus. So there's four general areas, and we're going to put this on the screen here. So power, number one, approval, number two, comfort, number three, and security. Now, a lot of these will overlap just a little bit. Um, and a lot of times there's some things that we will struggle with and others that we won't. So I can look at that list and say, I struggle with two of those on a regular basis and then the others maybe every now and then. But just as an example to see how this plays out, let's look at um, these, the way these show up in the story of the rich young ruler. So uh, regarding power. So um, wealth gives you a degree of power doesn't it? It puts you in, 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 a, in a stratosphere of your own where you are able to do things that others are not able to do. You might have people that work for you. You have all sorts of things that there are millions and billions of people around the world that don't have, and that's powerful. There is power involved in that, and you can abuse that power. The rich young man also believed that his wealth meant that God approved of him. That he looked and said, well, clearly others esteem me, others look up to me, um, and, and look, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty well for myself, and others seem to think I'm doing all right. And so he's playing into the idol of approval in that way. 
The rich young man also found great comfort in his stuff. You know, I can imagine that he often would go home and he'd relax and he'd enjoy the best food and the best wine and hide away from the world. And lastly, he would have felt probably deeply secure in his wealth, that he could go, uh, go and, and, and have a family and pass along their wealth for generations and generations to come, that they would be completely financially secure and stable. They'd never have to worry about anything ever again for the rest of their lives. And so his fear was in releasing that security blanket. And we don't know whether he had a family or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the reality is, um, it doesn't matter. Um, because that was the idol that he was playing into there. It was an idol of security. And so like I said, at times we'll probably have one of these very present, maybe two of them present in our lives, and then at other points in time, we will have um, all of them. And I think we see all of those in this guy here. So what I want to do is just take a moment and unpack this and see what we can do to remove the hindrances to experiencing the grace where Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So let's start with power. So it is only with difficulty that someone seeking power will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just kind of tweaking the phrase of what Jesus says there a little bit. Some of you in your lives, you're in a power fight. You're in a power struggle on an ongoing basis. Maybe it's internally within yourself. Maybe it's externally. Power can be intoxicating. <laughs> Maybe it's power in a relationship. You just, you really want to have the upper hand. You're obsessed with needing to control. Um, you want to have control over a situation. You want to know and control the outcome. Your life is a constant clamoring for the idol of power. And to you, Jesus would just get in the way of that. And we might not say that outright, but it, it showcases itself in its actions. What I want to say to you this morning is that Jesus invites us to lay down our power. Jesus invites us to lay down our power. Jesus is more powerful than you could ever know. I know that power is enticing because it gives us the illusion that we're in control. But the more we go along in life, the more we're going to realize that we don't have control. The sooner we realize that, I believe the happier we will be. When your power is taken away and your, your life will end up feeling futile and useless. So today, my encouragement, if that's you, if you resonate with that, to make the conscious choice to turn your power over to Jesus. So we're going to rephrase that question that the disciples asked. How then can someone who struggles with power be saved? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So step down from your power and into the unconditional grace and love of Jesus. Next statement. It's only with great difficulty that someone seeking the world's approval will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is definitely one of my top two. Um, approval is a really funny thing because it sort of gives you this false sense of achievement. And, and sure, it's really nice to hear, oh, you did a great job on that. You did a fantastic job. Uh, but the problem is when you don't receive those things, what happens? So for instance, if uh, you, know, you get a new haircut and your spouse doesn't notice and, and you're like really, really like rattled, like, like don't you even look at me anymore? Like you, you feel this sense of just um, indignation that they're not noticing. Um, or maybe your hard work at your job goes unnoticed. Uh, maybe uh, your hard work on the project you did with your team at school goes unnoticed. Or even worse, what if people start criticizing you? 
How about that? If someone, even constructively, they have a meeting with you and it's like maybe your six month review or your one year review at a new job and you sit down with them and they're like, um, okay, so we, you're doing a great job on, on these three areas, but there's uh, you know, three or four areas that we need to talk about and just figure out how we're gonna get better. And you're just like, you walk away from that just mortified. You're like, I can't believe that they thought I did a bad job there because you can't handle their lack of approval of you. <laughs> And for me, like this plays out like some, I, I think I'm a pretty likable guy. Maybe, maybe I'm not, I don't know. Um, but um, I have this problem where when I find out that someone doesn't like me, I'm usually like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I, I have to like talk to them, I, I have to fix it because I need them to like me because I need to be liked, that's who I am. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not the only one that's like that. Yeah, okay, <laughs> good. Now, I've learned and I've grown and I've learned to accept that not everyone appreciates my awesomeness, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but this is, this is so big on social media where, you know, we want to do whatever we can do just to get the most likes. And to be honest, I'm guilty of this. Now, I, I'm not like a Facebook friend deleter, so I just kind of hold on to everyone. So I have like almost 2,000 friends on Facebook. And so usually if I like post something, it gets a good amount of traction. Uh, but I posted something on Friday. Um, you post, so you might not be able to see this here, but um, so the Babylon Bee, anyone know the Babylon Bee? It's like a Christian satire website. It's really, it's really funny. Um, and they, they kind of critique a lot of Christian culture and all that. And I, ca I caught onto an article and I posted a comment and immediately for the first couple hours, it was like the top comment. And I was like, I just had to share with everyone, hey guys, look, this is like a real honor. My, my comment is the top comment on this Babylon Bee uh, fake news article. Like that's literally what it is. And, and everyone was like, uh, like rolling their eyes and groaning. And, and anyway, um, that is just like a part of my weakness. And I, I'm only joking a little bit about that, um, but it, that's a part of my weakness. That's a part of my tendency where I, I know that I can post things that people will engage with, and I can play to that sometimes. The idol of approval only works until it doesn't. It only works as long as people keep approving you, and all of a sudden when they stop, it's like, oh, I'm in real trouble. How then can someone who struggles with approval be saved? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. You guys are catching on. So stop seeking the approval of others and into the unconditional grace and love of Jesus. Next, it is only with difficulty that someone seeking comfort will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is also probably in my top two, because usually um, what will what'll happen is uh, I'll experience like a rejection from category number two, and then I'll need to like seek comfort elsewhere so that I can feel better about myself. And that's the kind of the, the, the insidious way in which our idols play off one another. And so this often takes on the most visible forms. Uh, uh, comfort usually takes on the form of habits, and addictions, things that are not inherently healthy or good for you. So, you know, in efforts to not feel pain or ignore something painful or to just, you know, ignore something completely, whatever we do, we end up seeking comfort. It could take on every imaginable form. Just pick your poison, whether it's alcohol abuse, substance abuse, pornography, sex. Um, even, even within marriage, I would say, even within marriage, you can turn sex into a deeply unhealthy thing that can uh, be a reminder of that I'm, I'm, this is an idol for me. This is an idol of comfort for me. But then there's also little um, kind of uh, smaller, more, sometimes even more insidious forms like... Um, Food, for instance. I mean, we literally have a category of food called 
comfort food. And it's usually like super high carb, super high fat, and just laden with cheese, right? That's usually the the vision with comfort food. (laughs) But it also looks like numbing out. Whether it's on our screens, depending on your generation, TV screens, computer screens, phones, tablets, even books, which are generally considered to be a, a better option. Um, sometimes we can even numb out and, and kind of seek comfort in escaping through whatever. Anything that we run to for comfort that isn't Jesus is idolatry. So when you experience difficult emotions, when you experience difficult things, someone says something hard to you and you're having all these feelings like, I don't know what to do with this. Do you open the fridge? Do you open a bottle? Do you open a website that you shouldn't go to? It could be a person that you keep running to because they give you what you think you need. But it, I promise you, this will leave you empty. It will leave you empty. Often it will end up destroying your life. And I would say to you um, that you might not this morning categorize yourself as an addict, but I'm telling you that if you continue seeking comfort in some of those different areas on an ongoing basis, it can very easily turn into a full-blown addiction. So how then can someone who struggles with comfort be saved? And Jesus says, with God, things are possible. You guys nailed it. So step out of your comfort zone and into the unconditional love and grace of Jesus. Lastly, it is only with difficulty that someone seeking security will enter the kingdom of heaven. And now security and power can have some overlap, but I think generally speaking, the idol of security is going to be at its worst when it stops us from stepping out into uncharted territory. Some of you are obsessed. In fact, you find your comfort in just playing it safe. I mean, you're, you're deeply risk adverse and it makes you prone to just walking on the safe side, never experiencing true life because you don't realize that there is something incredible in the side when you just push through. It robs us of truly experiencing life. You know, we become so obsessed with having this security net of money that we never truly live. We never truly experience because we're so obsessed with saving and saving and saving that all of a sudden you die and it's like, oh, I never got to enjoy life. Darn. How then can someone who struggles with security be saved? And to you, Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So step away from what is safe and familiar and secure and into the unconditional grace and love of Jesus. And so as we wrap up this morning, my question for you is what is your idol? Maybe it's a combination of a few of those. Maybe it's one primary one. What is stopping you from experiencing the grace of Jesus? What is the one thing for you that is a barrier that you need to hurdle over, that you need to overcome? The rich young man, he walked away from Jesus before he had the opportunity to even hear and encounter this grace. But you are here this morning and you are listening and you are hearing about this grace. And I would urge you, I would just ask you to listen and say, don't be like the rich young man. What are we going to do to listen and heed the call that Jesus gives us to experience him? To recognize that with God, all things are possible. So it's time to throw off the excess weight. It's time to do whatever we have to to experience this grace, this impossible, this scandalous grace. So whatever idol you've been turning to, maybe it's working today. 
Maybe it's not. Maybe you're finding that, man, this is really kind of falling flat. But I guarantee you, if it's not doing that today, it will fail you tomorrow. So my encouragement is, what is your response? After everything we've heard, I think you can hear it in your soul and know it to be true. What is your response? Don't miss out on the opportunity as we enter into communion to reflect and create some actionable steps. And so maybe as we uh, take the elements, maybe we need to have that moment just to reflect and sit and respond and write a few things down saying, here's where I struggle. Here's the things that I need to address and work through and process. Pick one of those that you might think that you struggle with and say, hey, I'm gonna think on that. I'm gonna pray on that. I'm gonna wrestle with that. So the writer of the book of Hebrews, and this is gonna lead us into um, communion and our final song. The writer of Hebrews says these words after, right after he has described this incredible um, group of faithful followers over the millennia and generations uh, b- before the writer. And so he says these words as a response to all of these people's incredible faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And from that, I would say that um, there are two categories there. There's sin and there's things that aren't maybe technically sin, but that are holding us back from experiencing the true grace of Jesus. And to you, I would say, whatever category you're in, what are we going to do to throw off throw off everything that entangles us from experiencing grace. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith who for the joy before him set, uh, sorry, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this, Morning, as we close out, we want to acknowledge, we want to acknowledge the, the, the work that has been done on the cross. We want, to, we want to acknowledge that this is a work that leads us to an incredible place of understanding grace in a new way, of understanding life in a new way. And so when we take in these symbols representing Jesus' blood, representing Jesus' body broken for us, we are reminded, we are reminded of the, the, the cost to experiencing grace. We're reminded of the deep need that we all have to turn from our idols and experience God in a new and fresh way. And each time we partake in this, it should never become this empty ritual that we just go through the motions. It's an opportunity to renew our, our, our faith, to renew who we are in Jesus and be reminded of that. And so the, uh, the ushers are going to come on down and pass out the elements. What I want you to do is I want you to take it in your own time, okay? Well, uh, often we do it all together. Um, there's a few different ways we do it. But whenever you are ready, uh, whenever you feel like you've just had a moment to sit and exist and just be before God uh, by yourself or with your spouse or whatever, um, you can then take it at your, uh, at your own pace in your own time. And when we're ready, we're just going to respond in, um, in a song. And I just encourage you that uh, this morning... Uh, communion is available to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter what denomination or background you're from, as long as you are a follower of Jesus. For those who are not, um, our encouragement is that you just take this moment to pause and reflect on what's been said, that there's there's an active engagement in all parts of this. So we are reminded of these symbols of the body and the blood. All right.
want to do is just maybe just close out for those who are, are uh, ready to, to move on and stand. We're just going to sing one last chorus together. It's a song we, a lot of us will know well. It's called Have It All. And we're just going to sing the chorus just to send us off out as a rem- with a reminder of, of that we are offering God all of us. And when we do that, Jesus meets us in a profound and incredible way. So for those who are ready and able, please let's stand together and just sing these words. You can have it all, Lord. Part of my world. Take this life and breathe. It's hard to listen. You can have it all. Every part of my world. Take this life and breathe on this heart this series next week uh, called Engage, and we're dealing with uh, what happens when we gather here uh, for worship together. What's that all about? And so I'm excited to see where that goes over the next few weeks, and uh, we'll see you soon.